Hello, podcast listeners. It's Omar Moalam, editor of The Yards. This episode is a live taping from our spring issue launch in Salon, recorded March 10th at the downtown Edmonton Community League space. Some of you have already heard it, but for those of you who haven't, I think you're going to love it. It's a lively conversation about the power and yet desperate need for small retail in our core neighborhoods. But before I launch into it, I just want to remind you that the new issue of The Yards is out, and if you don't live in Oliver or downtown and get it sent to you directly, then go find it at one of our distributors listed online at theyardsyag.ca. Of course, you can read it there too. And you will be reading an award-winning magazine. That's right, at the Alberta Magazine Awards this March, The Yards picked up two awards, both gold and silver for Mac Lamaru and Allison Boyson. Congratulations and great job to both of you. I just want to extend uh, congratulations to the whole team, Jared Campbell, Jennifer Windsor, Tracy Hyatt, Chris Bizey, Lisa Brown, Jessica Barrett, Lee Craig, Dan Rose, Sona Shavda, Adriana Amelio, Stephen Bowers, Ruby Dillon, Simon Yakulik, Rhonda Kronick, and of course, all of our contributing writers, illustrators, photographers. You know what? There are just so many to name. It's an incredible accomplishment for a volunteer-run magazine that's so small and released only four times a year. So hats off to all of you. And thank you of course to the readers and listeners for your continued support thanks for making this first year and a half such a strong one for the yards i hope you keep reading i hope you keep listening and speaking of which let's get to that conversation in edmonton's core where bigger appears to be better bigger arena bigger museum bigger university smaller isn't just surviving it's thriving those are some of the opening lines in this issue's cover story by Nikki Weart. It looks like that. The title is Small is Big, and it talks about those fine-grain, hole-in-the-wall retail spaces that we sometimes take for granted, but they contribute more to the street vibrancy and small business communities more than meets the eye. Yet, we don't have enough of them, and for a long time, we just kind of stopped building them. And that's starting to change, as demonstrated by 104th Street in a section of West Jasper Avenue, where one of our panelists chose to open her 30-seat, 500-square Japanese pub called Iki Izakaya. Ayumi Yura is originally from Tokyo, a city where there's no lack of these cubbyhole businesses, and she's joined today by Anne Stevenson. Uh, Anne is a writer and a principal planner with the city of Edmonton, and she worked on the Jasper Place redevelopment plan, which is another part of Edmonton that's trying to reinvent itself as more of a main street. So Ayumi and Anne, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Right into that microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so... Ayumi, uh, your bar's wonderful, and congratulations on being named one of the best new restaurants by Avenue Magazine. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but aside from great food and, and great drinks, I think my favorite part of Iki is just how cozy and alive it is on the inside. And so I want to know, did you, did you always know that it would be better suited for a tiny space, or was that just a matter of what was manageable for you? It wasn't really a matter of knowing what I wanted. So my inspiration came from my grandmother, who has two of the ikizakayas in Asia. So when I came across the 500-something square foot little space in Oliver, I knew it would be perfect because it reminded me of my grandma's second location. So usually izakayas are more the smaller more personable Mm -hmm. little spaces. It's just better to be that way because it kind of shows owners' personalities in the little space. It just creates the great energy, like high energy. 
And how'd you finally land on that space in the Illuminata 2 tower? Like, was it difficult to find? It was very, very difficult to find. So I'm very new to the city, so I didn't know much about Edmonton. So I drove around almost anywhere and everywhere in the city, and I wanted to be in downtown. So it was very, very difficult, but at the end, Right before I almost gave up, my family member introduced me to the perfect space, and I just took it just like that. That's great. And as a, as a planner and a writer, you've written about street animation, good, walkable, people-friendly spaces that make the streets livelier and ultimately friendlier and, dare I say, safer. Where does retail fall into this picture? So I, I love the urban environment. It's what I do as a profession and, and where I choose to live. Um, but I usually need an excuse to leave the house. So retail really acts as that destination. It's what brings people out. And it does that in three key ways. So um, it's very practical. Retail, you need to pick things up. You need to eat. You need to get uh, clothing. So people, by necessity, have to visit retail spaces. At the same time, it also offers exciting things to look at. So I was just reading the plaque on the Bay Building. So on opening night, when the Bay Building opened downtown, 20,000 people came out, and nothing was on sale. It wasn't a consumerist <laughs> event. <laughs> But what they were coming out for was seeing all the objects, getting inspired by what's being produced. And I think we still see that today. Uh, we go to main streets, we go to stores to see what's out there. It's the Museum of the Contemporary. So those two factors, sort of having to go meet these needs, getting to go to see interesting things, it brings people. And then people become their own attraction. People love people watching. So that's when you really build in that vibrancy. And that's what uh, retail brings to our streets. Ayumi, you've lived in Edmonton for how long now? It's been about 10 months. 10 months. I was born and raised in Tokyo, but I've been all over the place. I was in Vancouver for one year. Um, let's skip about 10 years, but I was in Tokyo for about 15 years. Well, I'm going to ask a ridiculous question. How does the urban environment, urban experience here compare to Tokyo's? (laughs) Um, I mean, Edmonton is an awesome city. I mean, it's a great place to live, but it's, it's getting there. (laughs) Um, We'll be Tokyo in 15 years. Sure. (laughs) I don't know if we want that. I, I'm pretty sure we don't want that. I mean, it's it's difficult to recreate the the urban qualities of Tokyo, just because Tokyo is just crazy. It's just a tiny little space with ten thousand little shops and restaurants right. and all that. We just prefer to have smaller spaces, just because it's easier for us to open businesses in Tokyo just because there are so many of those small spaces. You call my 500 square foot bar small, but in Tokyo it's called medium sized bar. <laughs> so the small izakaya in Tokyo, it's literally five seats. So that's only what, 100 square foot? And that's considered small. So 500 something, that's pretty big. And yet you had to drive around all of the yes. city to, to find yes, it. Yes, so please do something about it. Like, so, oh, yeah. Okay, so luckily we have a, a city of Edmonton planning here. Um, and let's just start by why these spaces are, are so rare. Well, there's an issue with demand and supply. So on the supply side, there just hasn't been that much retail development in our downtown in a long time. And and the development that there has been has been the the bigger box format. And, you know, there's a real uh, qualitative difference between a large retail space and multiple small retail spaces, even if it's the same amount of square footage. Um, We use a lot of terms like vibrancy and all the rest. And so to 
to explain why the smaller spaces just make it feel so much more different, I'm just going to talk about rhythm, so the rhythm of the city and the pace of the city. So I used to bike from, from the West End to downtown to go to work. And I would be biking. I'm not a very fast biker. And I'd be biking down these um, you know, low-density residential streets. And I'd be biking, and I'd pass one house. And then I'd still be passing that house. I'd still be passing it. And then I would start passing another house. Whereas when I lived overseas, I would bike to work, same distance, but I would pass house, house, store, park, house, just a much faster pace, a much faster rhythm to the, to the city. So I think that's, those, those small spaces are what really give that, that character. And so we've been missing that. Um, we had a lot of retail built in the, in the boom years. And then a lot of that retail got sucked up into our malls. So a lot of the spaces that were left over were the strip malls, which ended up being great incubators for some businesses, um, but weren't particularly walkable. I think now as we have more development happening, we have more opportunities to, to introduce these small spaces. And I think that we're seeing a real demographic change as well. So we have young people, we're the echo boom generation, that uh, are wanting to start up businesses and wanting to start small. So I think that's where some of the demand is coming from as well. Yeah, what, I mean, what about from the developer side? I mean, obviously it's easy to say, let's build build small. You know, small is big, small is beautiful. Um, but we don't get to decide what private developers want to bring to market, and the market tells them what they should build. Um, why do you think that they often go with 2,000, 3,000 square feet, sometimes more? Is it safer? Is it more reliable? Mm. I mean, that's, that's the perception. The perception is that um, you get your anchor tenant in, and that's sort of the key. And I think the term anchor tenant is actually really quite funny because uh, it can also really pull you down when that anchor tenant Well, we saw that away. on 104th Street and Jasper Avenue with the Sobeys Urban Fresh, which, I mean, going on, I think, a couple of years now, three years now, mm -hmm. it's been vacant. Exactly, exactly. So there are those concerns. It's also it's easier if you're only dealing with one tenant rather than multiple tenants. Um, but I think what we're starting to see is um, developers recognizing the value that these smaller spaces bring. Because again, uh, per square footage, if you're uh, renting a smaller space, you end up getting a premium on that as opposed to sending it out or renting it out in bulk. You get a much lower per square foot value for that. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that can be done about this from a government point of view, a business person's point of view, um, even as residents or as a community league? Is there anything that we can do to promote more small spaces? Oh. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this for you okay. so you're not too self-promoting, but you know, every one of us can support small businesses. We can choose to go to the smaller place. I think often we assume that smaller stores don't have what we need, uh, but if you just take the time to get to know what's available, what's around you, go into that weird little place that's in the bottom of an apartment building that you're not kind of sure about, um, we can help create that demand that uh, developers will respond to and build for. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, if Icky is maybe, anything, it is a demonstration that people <laughs> right. would like that. Yeah, but maybe the city can offer some kind of incentive to developers to create a small spaces. I don't know what kind of incentives, but something. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of what we can regulate, um, through the zoning bylaw, we can say you can only have a space this large. That That's a bit heavy-handed. Something that we try to do is um, in certain areas, we say that even if you're building a, a bigger store, you have to make it look like a smaller store. So your storefront has to be broken up every 10 meters, I think, um, or 10 feet, 10 feet. What about um, things like, like um, 
blackened windows. And is there anything that the city can do about that? Because when you have that, I mean, we've all walked around these spaces where you know there's a store in there. You know there are human beings behind that glass, but it's just like the monolith from Space Odyssey mm-hmm. in there. Absolutely. So we're changing some of the wording in our zoning bylaw as well. Before we talk about uh, linear transparency or glazing, so you have to have so much glass along the ground floor of your building. Now what we're talking about is um, transparent surface or visible surface. So you have to be able to see through that uh, material, whatever that material is. So I think that's going a long way to help address some of those issues. It seems like in and of itself, parking minimums can be an obstacle sometimes. Um, Close to Icky, one of your neighbors, Brew, experienced a months-long delay because um, the owner did not provide enough parking stalls for the amount of seats that she wanted to have inside. Did Icky run into any problems like that? I did not run into the issue because we have a designated parking behind the building. Too, I see. And we have quite a few free street parking along like both sides of the street. I don't think we had any issue because of the parking, but I feel like the parking minimum thing in the cities shouldn't be a necessary thing. It does seem a little <laughs> bit archaic. No, it does, though. It's, I, I do wonder if they still serve a purpose. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm super excited because in the past two weeks, I've actually changed jobs. So I'm now working on the zoning bylaw team. And one of our big projects is reviewing parking minimums uh, and maximums, potentially, for eating and drinking establishments. So that's a great initiative that's coming up. On March 22nd, we'll be presenting that to executive council for their consideration. So it's mainly, what it's doing is it's looking at what's happening already in downtown, um, Oliver, 124th Street and White Avenue, and saying, well, what is the actual provision of parking that we're seeing and using that to base our numbers on rather than some random standards that were developed in Florida, you know, 40 years Florida. ago. Florida. Yeah. They don't even know how to count in Florida. <laughs> the election. Some of you might be too young to remember. Say, you're dating yourself there. Um, but the most exciting thing I can share with you is that we are looking or we're recommending removing any parking requirements for, um, for, faci- for eating and drinking establishments under 60 square meters. So there'll be no parking requirements whatsoever for those types of smaller spaces. I, but, I, you know, I'm still left wondering what, what is the purpose of, you know, even in these areas where they don't have the density of Oliver and, uh, and downtown, what is the purpose of having a, mac- or a minimum amount of parking spots in order to open your business? And also, Floridians are kind of weird. We all know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... It's one of these um, contradictions that we run into. So a lot of people uh, intrinsically know the value of living in a walkable neighborhood. They want to be able to walk to um, the store, um, get their coffee, get their newspaper every morning. But at the same time, that comes with a trade-off, which is that their friends might not be able to park in front of their house when they come to visit. So. All of these things, all of these really positive things about getting to live in an urban, walkable environment have their trade-offs as well. And I think some communities struggle with that. Um, They want both things, but they're sort of mutually exclusive at times. So the minimums are really there to say we're trying to reduce this impact that is perceived as negative on our residents. And I think that we do have to hit a critical mass. If you... Before a place becomes fully walkable, a lot of people are going to be driving there to enjoy it. And it is going to be congested until you reach that critical mass, in which case there are going to be enough people living around that they'll be walking. But the minimums help get over, get over that hump. 
One thing about making the city more walkable and vibrant and all that, I think maybe the city should just get rid of the, the parking minimum rules then make the public transportation a little bit better. So like the bus, the maybe train, because in Tokyo, it's walkable, definitely walkable anywhere. It's, it doesn't have to be the core. So let's say right now, 104th Street, amazing, you can walk. With heels, no problem. <laughs> but to in front of my bar, so that's between 120th and 119th, that, that's not walkable. Even 124th is a little bit of a stretch. So if there's more, I don't know, the bus stops and subways, then no one has to worry about drink and drive. Mm-hmm. And no one has to worry about the parking. So. Because the sake is great at Icky, right? And you don't want people driving to Icky. True. Yes. Yeah. Um, something that that Nikki Weart, the the writer of the story, who's currently in Ottawa, uh, makes a point of in this uh, in this article is that uh, small spaces give small businesses a bit of a petri dish to try out their concepts, um, which they then might grow into something bigger. Um, we see this with Cask and Barrel, uh, with uh, Duchess Bake Shop, um, to an extent, uh, Nate Box's whole Elm Cafe coffee empire uh, that started with something the size of most people's bathroom. I, I'm sure we can all agree that this is uh, as good for neighborhoods as it is for business, but what's What's the city, is there anything that the city is doing to um, help these budding entrepreneurs find these testing grounds? Um, I understand that there is a uh, project with old um, strip malls, for example. Uh, is, is, are there other things that the city is doing? Yeah, so that's a really exciting one, the Corner Store Initiative. So it's reinvesting in these older strip malls that are really in the heart of these neighborhoods but have just, um, yeah, suffered from neglect, uh, lots of vacancies. So that's a great investment program. Um, In terms of some incubator spaces, again, just encouraging, sort of removing some of the barriers of people taking over smaller, older spaces. We have the Facade Improvement Program, which provides grants to small businesses or any businesses wanting to invest in the appearance of their um, shop. And then I think I think as well some of the public realm, so that's um, upgrading the sidewalks, putting in trees, making the making it um, outside of the restaurants be much nicer. And that's something that the Oliver Community League has done a wonderful job of advocating for, for west of 109th on Jasper Ave. So again, we can kind of make those outside spaces more welcoming. I mean, I as an urbanist, I love small retail, but I also love it as a customer because I know that I'm going to meet you, Ayumi. I know that I'm going to meet the business owners and have a very personal interaction with them. Um, but I, but I wonder, just for you as a as a business owner, um, has it helped you to have a to have a small space to start your business in? Do you have plans to grow out of it? That's the one thing I really love about the small space. I get to meet with every single customer. I literally know probably half the people who are here. I know exactly how you guys party. <laughs> right? I know you guys are nodding. Um, it's, it's really great. I get to know, you know, like some people from, you know, the cities, magazines, and just, you know, neighborhood, the residents from the building. And we just get to talk about random things, right? Since I'm kind of new here, like very new here, they teach me a lot of things. And then... I have a second 
business idea already, and that came from all the people, the great people really? from Edmonton. Yes. So I earlier you asked me if I wanted to find a smaller space. Yes, because I get to know a lot of people, and two, Izakaya is more personable and smaller space. They do work better, and it's manageable too. So it's just everything in one, and I think it's great. Well, look, um, before we wrap up, um, you talked about knowing how people like to party. I know how people like to party at, at Iki Izakaya, and it's with something called Russian chakayaki. <laughs> And I understand that you may have brought some here today. Can, w- w- can, can you tell me a little bit about what this is? So in Japan, it's usually at Izakaya, the party place. It's, izakaya is a bar, bar with a little bit of food. So we basically spike one of the shareable plates. And takoyaki is an octopus dumpling, and one of them, I spiked it. So you, it's Russian roulette. This yes, is what Russian we're talking roulette. about. Yes. We're talking about Russian so. roulette. Uh, someone's going to die tonight. Yes. Um, so you brought, I understand you brought four yes. of them. I have just I under your six seat of them. There. You got That's six like of them. Regular. Yes. Okay, so I'm, I, I know that you're a vegetarian, so you're out. And uh, I don't want to triple my odds of dying tonight. Uh, would... Can we get four volunteers to to oh participate? My God. Can we get Edmonton's new chief planner, Peter Ohm? Oh. This way? Perhaps. Oh, oh! For, at the moment, he's suddenly a vegetarian. Uh, are there? Is there a traditional uh, last prayer that we say? Okay, so I'll count three, Thank you. and then we go three, two, one, and say iki. Iki means one breath. So you just take it at once, and then one of you is just going to die. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. And we don't need to hear the end of that. But spoiler alert, I did not get the spicy, deadly octopus ball. Neither did the chief planner, Peter Ohm. Somebody did, though, and you don't need to hear them screaming. That's all for the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We broadcast an episode monthly and publish a magazine quarterly. Again, look out for the new issue. It's out now. If you didn't get in your mailbox, find it at one of the partnering businesses, which you can find listed on our website at theyardsyag.ca. You can read the new issue there, of course, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Yards Yeg. The Yards is funded by the Downtown Edmonton and Oliver Community Leagues. That's all for today's episode. See you around the neighborhood.